0: to this sermon from Hope Church Toronto North. It is our prayer that through this message you are challenged and encouraged by the Word of God and grow in your love for God and love for others. It is God's desire for us to be members of and regularly participate in a local church under the care of qualified elders. If you are not attending a local church right now, we encourage you to take that step. If you do live in the North York area and are looking for a local church, we invite you to visit us at one of our Sunday morning gatherings to discern if this is the church God is leading you to. Father, we come before you as those who have found shelter, not in the things of the world, but upon the rock that is Christ. And though trials inevitably will come and have come in our lives and circumstances may shake us, that our foundation will never move because we have built our lives on Christ. And we thank you for reminding us of what Christ has done and reminding us of what you promise you will do to give us hope and confidence for the present. That you have already won the battle and we are just following your lead. We pray that this morning that you would encourage our hearts all the more as we turn from singing about the word made flesh to your revealed word to us, that you would encourage our hearts by your spirit. Glorify yourself, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated, and at this time, if there's any Hope kids in the room, you can make your way to the back. Alexis will bring you downstairs for your time.
1: If you have a Bible with you or a phone, you can turn, scroll to Esther chapter 5. And the title of our message is Pride and Providence. Pride and Providence. We should avoid pride like the way I avoid camping. (laughs) (laughs) To you it is. Because pride can destroy us if we allow it to stay in our lives. We should appreciate providence like the way most of you appreciate your computer or your phone because providence reminds us that God is for us. And in the text today, we are going to see pride and providence on full display. We're going to learn to run from pride. We're going to learn to appreciate, love God's providence. And so if you are in Esther 5, say, let's go. 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 All right, 5, verse 9 says, That day Haman left full of joy and in good spirits, but when Haman saw Mordecai at the king's gate, and Mordecai didn't rise or tremble in fear at his presence, Haman was filled with rage toward Mordecai. Yet Haman controlled himself and went home. He sent for his friends and his wife Zeresh to join him. Then Haman described for them his glorious wealth and his many sons. He told them all how the king had honored him and promoted him in rank over over the other officials in the royal staff. What's more, Haman added, Queen Esther invited no one but me to join the king at the banquet she had prepared. I'm invited again to more to join her with the king. Still, none of this satisfies me since Mordecai, the Jew, is sitting at the king's gate all the time. His wife Zeresh and all his friends told him, have them build a gallows 70 feet tall. Ask the king in the morning to hang Mordecai on it. Then go to the banquet with the king and enjoy yourself. The advice pleased Haman, so he had the gallows constructed. That night, this is chapter 6, Sleep, uh, escaped the king. So he ordered the book of re- uh, recording daily events to be brought and read to, to the king. They found a written report of how Mordecai had informed on Bigthana and Teresh, two of the king's eunuchs who guarded the entrance when they planned to assassinate King Ahasuerus. The king inquired, what honor and special recognition has been given to Mordecai for this? The king's personal attendants responded, nothing has been done for him. The king asked, who is in the court? Now Haman was just entering the outer court of the palace to ask the king, to hang Mordecai on the gallows he had prepared for him. The king attendant answered him, Haman is there, standing in the court. Have him enter, the king ordered. Haman entered, and the king asked him, What should be done for the man the king wants to honor? Haman thought to himself, Who is it that the king would want to honor more than me? Haman told the king, for the man the king wants to honor, have them bring a royal garment that the king himself has worn and a horse that the king himself has ridden, which has royal crown on its head. Put the garment on the horse under the, under the charge of the king's most noble officials. Have them clothe the man the king wants to honor. Parade him on the horse through the city square and call out before him, this is what is done for the man the king wants to honor. The king told Haman, Hurry and do just as you, have, as you have proposed. Take a garment and a horse for Mordecai, the Jew, who is sitting at the king's gate. Don't leave anything out that you have suggested. Oh, yeah. So <laughs> it's a hard day for Haman. So, the, so Haman took the garment and the horse. He clothed Mordecai and paraded him through the city square, calling out before him, this is what is done for the man the king wants to honor. Then Mordecai returned to the king's gate, but, but Haman hurried off. Uh, For home, mournful and with his head covered, Haman told his wife Zeresh all and all his friends everything that had happened. His advisors and his wife Zeresh said to him, Since Mordecai is Jewish and you have begun to fall before him, you won't overcome him because your downfall is certain. While they were still speaking with him, the king's eunuch arrived and rushed to Haman to the banquet Esther had prepared. God, we give you thanks for the word. Lord, we know and believe that there's something in here for us, Lord God, that there is wisdom to be found as we open the scriptures and allow you to speak. We pray, Lord God, for your spirit to guide and to help us to pay attention, to interpret rightly, Lord God, and to know how these things that have happened in the past apply to us now in the present. We pray that your name would be glorified as the we are under your word right now. And that you would speak through me, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, Amen leaves. We talked about this last week, the banquet, feeling good. And then he runs into Mordecai, it says. It says, that day he left, verse 9, full of joy and in good spirits. But when he saw Mordecai at the king's gate, and Mordecai didn't rise or tremble, so Mordecai is not afraid of him, it filled him with rage towards him. See, Haman here wants Mordecai to bow down to him. That's what he wants from everyone. But Mordecai actually refuses to to do that. He wants him to do this, but the only person who's worthy of every single person bowing down to him is who? Jesus Christ. That's right. See, because Jesus was not prideful. Jesus was humble. He humbled himself and served us. He humbled himself and loved us. He humbled himself and died in our place. And that's why the Bible says, God has exalted him. And at his name, every knee will bow. What Haman wanted, only Jesus deserves. If you agree, say it's true. And then verse 10 to 14, Haman goes home. And he goes home and he goes off about himself. Verse 11, it says, then Haman described for them his glorious wealth, his many sons. He told them all all how the king had honored him and promoted him in rank over the other officials and the royal staff. Here's the thing. Haman is telling this to people who already know. It's his wife and his friends. Right? So you just can kind of picture them sitting there just rolling their eyes like, oh, here he goes again. Right, The kids are sitting there like, mom, dad's flexing again. Right, What you call this is you call it prideful boasting. Now, people who boast are annoying, aren't they? We all know that person at the party. Just listing off the resume, I did this, I've done this, I've done that. This person knows me, I know this person. Do you know that person? I know them, you don't. And the more they talk, do you know what you realize? They're actually really insecure. And half the time, the things they're saying, they don't even believe. They're annoying. Prideful people, boastful people are blind to God's goodness and God's providence. The Bible says, what do you have that you did not receive? Think about your life. Everything you have is from God. And when you boast about those things, you know what you're doing? You're stealing glory from God. People who boast find their worth in possessions and position. And that's not where we go as Christians. We find our worth in the fact that we are made in the image of God, nothing else. People who boast end up humiliated. You're going to see that for Mordecai. And that's because God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the who? The humble. Haman wants Mordecai gone bad. And so his wife makes the suggestion. Look at verse 14. His wife Zeresh and all his friends told him, have them build the gallows 70 feet tall. Ask the king in the morning to hang Mordecai on it. Then go to the banquet with, ki- with the king and enjoy yourself. The advice, please Haman. So he had the gallows constructed. So he does this, he builds it. And then in chapter six, verse five, it tells us that the king can't sleep. He's having a hard time getting asleep. And so he's like, I got an idea. I'm going to have the book of daily recordings read to me. Now, my thinking is, he's thinking, all these hard-to-pronounce names will probably make me sleepy. And so he does it. And then he's reminded of a big thing that Mordecai did for him. I'm summarizing for you. You can read when you you get home. I already read it. He was reminded a big thing that Mordecai did for him. Then he finds out he did nothing for him. And then Haman just happens to show up at the time where the king is looking for advice about what to do for Mordecai. Look at verse six. It says, Haman entered and the king asked him, what should be done for the man the king wants to honor? Then Haman thought to himself, "Who?" Is it the king would want to honor more than me? Haman thinks he's the best thing since sliced bread. And he, it's called, this is called prideful assumption. He figures, it's got to be me that the king's talking about. It has to be me that he wants to honor. And what you should take from this is that possession and position can get to your head. It can take you to a spot where you think you're better and above everybody else. You're deserving of all the praise and all the glory. And again, what are you doing? You're trying to steal the place of God. Can get to our heads. Here's the other thing. We can also in our life make very wrong assumptions. Let me say it again so it touches you the way it should. In our life, we can make very wrong assumptions. Think about this. People make assumptions about their neighbors. Haven't you ever done that? You thought there were one way then you talk to them. You're like, oh, you're not like that at all. People make assumptions when they're sick. People make assumptions when they're in conflict. I assume this. People make assumptions when they're single. I'm never going to find somebody to marry. God must not care about me. People make assumptions when they're dating. This person is the right person. They're perfect when they're not. People make assumptions when they're married. People make assumptions when they're borrowing money. I will be able to pay this back. People make assumptions when they're investing their money. This is guaranteed to turn out good for me. People make assumptions when they're parenting. In your life, don't make assumptions. Here's what you do. You ask good questions. You do good research. Why? So you can draw valid and good conclusions and so you can make wise decisions. God wants us to be wise. Don't assume. Verse 7 says, Haman told the king, for the man the king wants to honor, have them bring a royal garment that the king himself has worn and a horse that the king himself has ridden, which has the royal crown on its head. Put the garment on the horse under the charge of the one the king... one of the king's most noble officials have them clothe the man the king wants to honor parade him on the horse through the city square and call out before this this uh, call out before him this is what is what is done for the man the king wants to honor now a good bible reading says you should have noticed that haman mentions the phrase the man the king wants to honor three times here's what you can't see but it's very visible in the hebrew the word for is not there in verse 7 so in verse 7 it says it says haman told the king the man the king wants to honor and so what happens there is he actually pauses he stops because it gives him time for his imagination to catch up with his narcissism he's just he's he's just imagining what this would actually be. Li- and this scene, what it does is it exposes his blind ambition. Haman actually wants to be king. You gotta notice, he mentions everything except the king's wife. He wants the man's role. Let me say this there's nothing wrong with being ambitious. Say nothing. There's nothing wrong with being ambitious. You just need to make sure in your life that your ambition is godly ambition, not selfish ambition. I want to show you the difference. People with selfish uh, selfish ambition are only focused on getting ahead. People with selfish ambition will use people, possessions, and position in evil ways to get ahead. They do some evil things. Godly ambition is people with, people with godly ambition are driven. Nothing wrong with being driven. Nothing wrong with working hard. But they ask the Holy Spirit to give them wisdom as they work and network. People with godly ambition, ambition are driven, but it's balanced by a love for God and a desire to help other people. There's nothing wrong with working hard so you can provide for yourself, but you need to make sure that you're not just thinking about yourself. One writer said it like this Godly ambition requires, I love this, hustle and humility. Oh, yeah, Shayon's smiling. I know I'm in a good spot. Hustle and humility. Verse 10 says, The king, here's where his day gets real hard. The king told Haman, Hurry. And do just as you have proposed. So he's probably like, oh yeah. He's, he's like, hurry. He's probably already standing, ready to start stepping out and going. And he says, take the garment and horse and a horse for Mordecai the Jew. His this is where his heart sinks. Right, You get that sick feeling in your stomach. I've been planning this this whole time, and all of a sudden, it just what is it, the carpet? I don't know what the phrase is. It's just kind of the rug got pulled out from under him. Take it and put it on Mordecai, the Jew, who's sitting at the king's gate. I love this. Then he gives him another command. Don't leave out anything I have suggested, you have suggested. He's like, this is your plan. Go do your plan. And you know this king, if he doesn't do what this guy says, he's going to die. Don't leave any... So now he's afraid, like, i got to do this. So Haman took the garment and the horse. He clothed Mordecai. This must be tough. I love this whole scene. I wish I could have seen it. When I see Mordecai in glory, I'm going to be like, brother, what was that like? And paraded him through the city square, calling out before him. This is what is done for the man the king wants to honor. Then Mordecai returned to the king's gate, he goes back to his job, but Haman hurried, hurried off, right, shame, mournful with his head covered. Haman told his wife Zeresh and all his friends everything that had happened. His advisors and his wife Zeresh said to him, since Mordecai is Jewish and you have begun to fall before him, you won't overcome him because your downfall is certain. While they were still speaking with him, the king's eunuchs arrived and rushed Haman to the banquet Esther had prepared. Pride goes before a fall. Notice that she says in verse 13, his his wife, you have begun to fall. All his pride. He had to lead the praise of the person he wanted dead. Right? The narcissist, reality always catches up to them. Always catches up to them. What you call this here is providential reversal. Now, I want to say to you, if you ask DJ Khaled, who kept the king awake, what do he say? God did. Because in, in verse 6, chapter 6 in verse 1, it says that sleep escaped the king. And Proverbs 21, here's where I'm getting this. Verse 1 says... The king's heart is like a stream in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he wills. God is in charge. He's like, I'm going to bed. God's like, no, nope. you are not going to sleep. You are going to stay awake. You are going to read that book. You're going to find out that Mordecai did something big for you. And you're going to get this thing right because that's my, my guy right there in Susa. He reads and he Remembers, And I'm, I'm showing you this because God, I said this multiple times, God was there in Esther working behind the scenes. He kept him awake and he was working to protect his people. And verse 14 says, while, while they were still speaking, a eunuch arrived and rushed Haman to the banquet Esther had prepared. And here's the thing that happens at this banquet. Haman is completely exposed. He is completely exposed. Here's it on the screen. This is in chapter 7. You can read it when you get home. Esther pleads for her people and tells the king they have been sold to destruction, death, and annihilation. Then in in verse 6, it says, Esther tells the king that Haman is the one behind all of it. And then in 7, 6 to seven, Esther finishes speaking, and Haman stood terrified before the king and queen and begged for his life. This brother is in a jam stickier than peanut butter, and he cannot get out of it. He knows it's all going to go bad. Here's what I'm trying to show you when you choose to live pridefully, when you choose to do evil, when you are just committed to reckless ambition, death and destruction is usually up ahead. It never goes well for that person who lives that way. And the providential reversals continue in Esther. I think there's a table coming up to show you this. Haman has the gallows built for Mordecai, to kill Mordecai. That's in chapter 5. And then Haman is the one who ends up dying on it. That's chapter 7. Haman is elevated and honored. That is chapter 3. Mordecai is elevated and honored above him. That is chapter 8. A decree is sent out for the destruction of the Jewish people. That was chapter 3. We dealt with that. And then in chapter 9, the enemies of the Jews end up defeated, and the Jewish people survive and thrive. The Jewish people fast for deliverance. We talked about this, I think, last week, that in tough times, one of the things you should do is fast, ask for God's help to get you out of those tough spots. They do that. And then the Jewish people feast and celebrate their deliverance in chapter 10. Why? All because of the work of God. All because God was working behind the scenes. And here's this thing. Here's what should give you, make you feel good. This idea, this theme of providential reversal actually continues in your life and in my life. See, our sin has made it so that we are outside of the garden. We are away from the presence of God, and our sin has broken our culture. You you know it, right? You know you live in a broken place, and life here is hard. Don't leave me up here. Life, Say amen. It is hard. Life here is hard. This is a culture that is hostile, actively hostile towards you and your faith. You can try all you want to compromise, but if you stand truly for Jesus Christ, you're going to have some people who are not feeling you. That's the reality of where we live. This is a place, this is a culture where people let you down. Haven't you seen that this week? This is a culture where sometimes you let people down. I let you down. This is where we live. There's wars, right? Think about that war that's going on over in Ukraine, right? ugly and evil that's where we live there is recessions and sometimes the people in our go- i was listening to the radio this week and the, and the 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 finance minister didn't even want to use the word but that's probably where we are there's inflation sometimes kim comes home and tells me what toilet paper costs now i'm like what that's where we are life here is hard you can probably think through something this week or this month or just that happened this year that reminds you of the fact that you live in an area and in a a place where things are not the way they're supposed to be where things are broken where things are tough where things are frustrating where things sort of like eat you up sometimes but let me give you some good news let me give you let me tell you something that should make you rejoice let me tell you something that should fill you with a sense of confidence with a sense of peace it will not be like this forever The Jews in Susa were in a tough moment, but what happened there? God got them through. He was there working, protecting them, and he blessed them in the end. Their tough moment came, but their tough moment did not last. Our tough moment comes, and it does not last. It will come to an end. Now let me tell you, because I'm not making it up. Revelation 21 verse 5 says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Then I heard a loud voice from the throne, look, God's dwelling is with humanity. We will be with God and he will live with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and will be their God. Watch this. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. You're not going to cry no more. There'll be too much good going on for you, to, for you to even shed a tear. You might actually, if you do, it's going to be joyful tears. Death will be no more. It's only going to be more life from then on. Grief, no more. Crying, no more. And pain will be no more. Your body is going to be right and it's going to work right. Because the previous things have passed away. I love this. Then the one seated on the throne said, Look, I'm making everything new. And he also said this, Write it down because these words are faithful and true. You can fully bank on the word of God. He will never, never come short of what he has said. Future grace is what you have coming to you. That is the blessing Of following Jesus it's not easy to follow Jesus but it's worth it to follow Jesus and Jesus made it all possible Karen Jobes said the ordinary and the miraculous intersect in Jesus Christ because of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ our destiny has been reversed from death to life against all expectation we had no chance but Jesus came and gave us a chance The cross of Jesus Christ is the pivot point of the greatest reversal of history where our sorrow has been turned to joy. Everything will be restored and renewed. And so you're like, that's what's coming to me, Marv. You've been talking about it for a good while. What do I do while I wait? What do we do while we wait? Here it is. Take courageous steps of faith because God will use you and mature you. And when you're willing to take courageous steps of faith, it shows that you understand that challenges are also opportunities to grow in the faith. Stand up and speak out against evil and injustice in our culture. Esther and Mordecai stood up to evil and injustice. They did not sit back I told you she was poised. She had a plan. She used power wisely. And her and, and, and God used her and Mordecai to make things right. This is one of the ways God deals with evil in our culture. He uses spirit-filled believers who are willing to stand up and step out. And say, this might cost me something, but there's an evil going on over there and it needs to be stopped. And I'm willing to risk and say something about it. Be wise and don't rush major decisions in your life. Slow and steady always wins the race. Take your time. Continue to do good and trust God in a culture that is hostile towards your faith. God protected his people in Susa and he will protect us. I want to say this real strong. Do not compromise on your faith. You live in a culture that's going crazy on things like gender and sexuality and all these different things. And I'm saying to you, hold the ground. God says marriage is to be between one man and one woman for one lifetime. Don't be afraid to hold on to that. God says that there's a certain way we should raise and protect our kids. And don't let anybody put any nonsense in your kid's head. Speak to them about the truth. Tell them to be respectful to those who disagree with us. That's fine. But get them ready for the wilderness. And if somebody says something to your child that is out of step with the word of God, you stand up and you say, please don't say that to my child. Because what you're saying dishonors God. And we are, if you don't like it, we are people of faith. I believe what God has said in his word. And it's my responsibility to tell that child the truth and help them to make wise decisions as they live. Don't compromise. Stand for what is right. This last one. Remember that the path to joy and eternal life winds through the valley of suffering. The path Jesus took is the path we have to take. And so don't be surprised when trials come. Don't be surprised when there are tough moments. But understand, Satan wants you to think that God is not loving you in those moments, but he is. Satan wants you to think that God has abandoned you, but he has not your flesh will tell you nothing good is going on in those moments but there is you're being sanctified you're being changed you're being transformed and so you hold on in the storm you know why? because Jesus is in it with you never abandons his people give thanks that God is working through the ordinary circumstances of each day to accomplish his plan of redemption and restoration God in in the little things God is there working. There are no wasted moments in your life because God is on the scene. This last one, be humble. Remember, pride goes before a fall. Be humble and pray for the Lord's return because when he comes, everything will be right and it will work right and it will be joy for eternity. All right, I'm done. Let's stand and pray. Father, we pray and ask, Lord God, that you would help us. Help us to trust you To know and believe that we live in a culture that is broken, tough, confusing at times. But God, you are here with us. Father, we ask that you would help us to stand for what is right and good by the power of your spirit. Father, help us to be wise in our living, to know, Lord God, that you are always with us. God, help us to not be afraid. I confess there's moments where I've been afraid to speak truth, to stand for the things that are right, for the things that I believe in because you have said them, because you have ordered them in these ways. And God, I pray that you would help us to be people of courage, people of faith. Lord, we know that there will be a cost. Some of us are probably already feeling that for following Jesus Christ. But Lord God, we know it's worth it. Father, we pray that you would help us to be humble. Lord, there are people who don't see the world, Lord God, the way we do. I pray that we would. Humbly carry ourselves before them while standing for what is right and what is true, according to the faith. God, I pray that you would help us to not be disrespectful, but to not be dishonest either. God, we won't always know what you are doing, as the song says, but we know what you have done. And we know what you have promised. I pray you would put steel in our backs, that we would be confident, Lord God, in you, that we would be people of faith, that we would be people who believe truly and appreciate the providence of God. Lord, we looked at an old story and it's reminded us, Lord God, that you are the same God, that you do not change and that we can trust you, that we are your people, that you are with us always. Help us to sing your praises now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: For more resources or information about Hope Church, visit hopetorontonorth.com.